Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe it doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network with episode 15 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. Internet sensation Kyle Leff is here with me. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike. You know, I, I had a weekend away, uh, a weekend in New York City, um, the city that never sleeps. Uh, got to see I got to see a movie. Did not get to watch this game until afterwards when I saw the entire replay. And I clearly missed something. I mean, I, I, I may have been watching Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya on screen, but I clearly missed the Garrett Schrader show. So I don't know what I would have preferred to watch. Yes, you certainly did. And as a gift to Q's Nation for the rest of the season, Kyle's going to watch every game on replay only. Yes. Because that's clearly the reason why Syracuse won against Virginia Tech and they did win against Virginia Tech 41 to 36 but before we get to that we're back and better than ever all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season as always bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface even more odds props and contests bet online continues to be the number one source for everything football Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. On a last second touchdown pass from Garrett Schrader to Damian Alfer, we will get into that final play, but... The first thing we want to talk about, as we usually do after um, a game, is just your kind of overall macro-level thoughts on the win. And Kyle, we'll start with you. I mean, macro-level thoughts is that this team needed this win, and it can finally take a sigh of relief that one of these close games, they finally won it. Because for those who have not, you know, listened to the podcast and are new to the brand, uh, the last win was against Liberty. That was the last victory SU had. Uh, we lost to Florida State by three, lost to Wake Forest by three, and lost to Clemson by three. All of them in their own heartbreaking fashion. Florida State, penalty problems. Wake Forest, overtime, heartbreak. Clemson, a missed field goal. Like, it was just heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak of just, we're there. We should win these games. And finally, we do it. And the fashion it was done, just, it makes it, it, makes it that much better i think yeah and and you know if if you're syracuse and and you keep you keep being in these games and they keep going down to the last second you feel like eventually you got to start pulling some of these out right like odds are that you can't lose every game in heartbreaking fashion and yet it seemed for a little while like syracuse was trying to see if they could accomplish that and to be honest with you in this game uh there were different points where it felt like syracuse was about ready to take control of it and then there were points late in the game, especially after um, the the long 50-yard touchdown run by, by Virginia Tech's freshman running back um, that put them up by nine with about five and a half minutes to go. It felt like this was going to be another close call for Syracuse. And then just all of these little kind of um, – plays that you needed to go exactly right all went exactly right and then Syracuse was able to make the play at the end to get the win um, I agree with you I think this is a huge sigh of relief for the program for the players for the coaching staff because they had been playing much better football than last year and it's it's good for them to it's good to to see them um, able to have that turn into a tangible result. We, we saw that tangible result against Liberty. We thought maybe that would propel them into something. Um, took a few weeks to, to get there, but you still feel like this team is playing good football for the most part, and it was good to see that uh, turn into a, a win so that they had something to celebrate. Now, before we go into more specifics on the game, there's 
a, a small rant that I'm going to go on. Um, a rant. I a wonder. Rant. I wonder what about Mike? And this is going to be about coaching. Wow, who'd have thought? <laughs> and not what everyone is thinking, because there are. I don't know if this is a vocal minority or if it's a large majority of the fan base, but there are a lot of very vocal, um, a lot of vocal opponents or non-supporters to Dino Babers. And I understand the criticism in some of the time management issues, some of the decisions that, that fans may not agree with when to kick, when to go for it, all of those types of situations, using timeouts and inopportune times. And there was certainly a situation against Virginia Tech that absolutely warranted being criticized. That was at the end of the first half when Syracuse had a first and goal at the one-yard line with eight seconds to go in the half. Syracuse calls timeout, which was fine. When they come out of the timeout, there's a personnel issue and they end up having to call a second timeout. There's look like there was a wide receiver who didn't get out of the field in time. So they call a second timeout to avoid a penalty from there. Syracuse comes out. Now they don't have any timeouts. So they can't, if they run the ball up the middle or, or run the ball in some capacity and don't get into the end zone, the half runs out, you get no points. Syracuse runs a play where they do run the ball. They get stopped and but Virginia Tech made a mistake and that they called timeout right before the play. So now Syracuse has a chance to rethink it. They send the field goal unit on again. I'm not sure whether or not the kicking the field goal, there's going to be criticisms to that. I get it. But the field goal is missed. And so I think that makes anyone who wanted them to go for it that much more vocal about the fact that they should have gone for it. But that whole sequence was just a disaster, right? From calling the two timeouts to not being able to run the plays that you wanted to run to missing the field goal, taking all momentum away from your team going into the locker room. All fair to criticize that entire sequence. It was not good from any perspective. However, where my rant is going to go is if you're going to criticize in situations like that where it's warranted, you also have to be fair when there are positive things in crediting some of that to the coaching staff. It cannot be, and it is not fair to be, whenever bad things happen, it is all the fault of the coaching staff. Whenever good things happen, it is in spite of the coaching staff. That is rarely the case in in sports. Rarely, very rarely. And I do not believe that is the case with Syracuse football. I think a sign of good coaching includes or a sign of, of positives in, in evaluating a coaching staff is how hard your team plays for you. Syracuse had three losses in a row by three points. Very easy for a team to lose its mental edge and sort of quit on, well, this just isn't working. This team has not done that. They've played harder, if anything, which shows you that the locker room hasn't been lost which is a difficult thing to do when you're losing. And that to me is a sign of a good coach. I think it's, it's fair to acknowledge that that is a feather in Dino Baber's cap, the way that the team has played um, in terms of its energy, its competitiveness, et cetera. The improvement from the last two years to this year in terms of its competitiveness, its depth, when you've had guys go down to injury, not having a huge drop off, all of those things, that is also a feather in the cap of this coaching staff adjustments such as I've seen this a lot. This staff never makes adjustments, terrible in game coach, terrible in game staff, all of that. Mainly that's surrounding the time management stuff, which is all fair to criticize. I'll keep saying that because I'm going to get someone that's going to clap back and say, you're unwilling to criticize, which is not true. But all of that said, when you make adjustments, whether it's in game or in season or between seasons, such as completely revamping the offensive approach of your team based on your personnel, that is what a good coach does. You don't continue to make your offense a path-oriented offense when your quarterback's strength is running the football. You switch it to a run-focused offense, which is what they have done, and it has worked. The coaching staff should get credit for that. 
there are little things that go on that I think a lot of people don't see. Honestly, myself, I don't see them live necessarily either. But, you know, I talk to people I try to that are smarter than me to, to try to get some of that information. Um, people that are experienced at evaluating football. I, I have um, several friends who I trust in terms of their football opinion that, you know, I can run things by them to see if what I'm seeing is correct or if I'm way off base. And, you know, there's little things such as Syracuse playing zone defensively and then at a critical time, all of a sudden sending pressure for one of the very few times in the game like they did against Virginia Tech when they sent Rob Hanna late in the game on Virginia Tech's second to last possession that got Syracuse the ball back in order to have a chance to win the game. Little adjustments like that. So my my whole point here is not to say that Dino Babers and the Dino Babers coaching staff is the greatest coaching staff to have ever been assembled in the history of college football and they should have a lifetime contract at Syracuse for as long as they want to be here. I am not going to that level. I am not even here to say that you should all believe that Dino Babers is the coach going forward and that he is the right guy for the job. I'm not even telling you you should have that opinion. What I am telling you is if you're going to criticize again warranted criticisms, which the time management stuff, some of those decisions and some of the play calls and um, the whatever that was at the end of the first half against Virginia Tech, if you're going to criticize that then you have to also acknowledge when things are positive. Um, that's all. I, I just get if, if you're going to have an honest and accurate and um, adult conversation about the coaching staff and evaluating whether or not they are the right coaching staff, how competent they are, how incompetent they are, then you have to be able to acknowledge which things are bad, which things are not. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman's Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Everything you said, Mike? On the spot, like firstly, round of applause. Great 10 out of 10 rant, would rant again. And you're just, you're right. You're on the money that as soon as this team does well, as soon as the team does well, it wins a game and Babers does, has a good call. He had Hannah Blitz and it worked really well. You have to praise him. That is just how it works. You can't be like, oh, the team won in spite of Dino being a poor coach. He had one mistake this game. If this was the Clemson game or if this was the Wake game and you said the team won in spite of Dino and if we did win, I could see that. That it would be a bit more warranted if, say, we won won one of those two games. It could have been warranted just because of, oh, we won. Dino made 10 bad calls, but the team won the game. That's a reasonable time to call to bring this point out. But it's just not the game to do that. I mean, he had a single problem in this game. He had five or six other good calls this game. He was on the money. He got a B plus. I mean, he had a B plus. And from what I can gather, a D gets degrees. He had a B plus. You need to give this man his plaudits, give him his credit where credit is due. And he earned it. I don't want to hear no, oh, well, Dino's bad. No, no, no. He's had his problems. He has his time management problems. We all get that. That is a big Dino issue. But for this game... No, he deserves praise. He did well. He coached well. They ended the game fantastically. And again, we won a game. We should be seven and one, if not eight and oh, this season. Yet we're four and four. Three of those losses are on Dina. One of them was just a rough game. And we won this game. So let's have fun and celebrate it. Let's not say negatives. I don't want to hear negative right now. I just want to have fun and live our best lives and praise Sean Tucker and retweet his tweets and say how amazing Schrader is and get ready for the next game because we won a game. Let's be happy. How about that? And uh, Sean Tucker is pleased with the performance of Dino Babers. In this Obviously. Game. I'll just say that. Um, so the, the next thing I want to get to um, with that out of the way is the game winner. And 
<clears throat> there's a, a few things about this play that, uh, you know, discussing. First of all, sure, absolute shot on this play. And he knew it was coming, right? He knew that he was going to take a shot. He could see the, the free rusher coming. And yet he stood in there, delivered a perfect pass, and then Damian Alfred made the catch. I mean, it, it takes a lot of guts to stand in there and make a catch like that. A oh, big time. Make a throw like that, I should say. He got absolutely rocked. I mean, for those who did not see it, Schrader got hit and he, he, took, he threw it. He got hit. He fell to the ground. He watched the touchdown be caught and then laid there for a good 10 seconds like, oh, my God, my whole body hurts. What did I just do to myself? And he deservedly so laid there because he, again, as I said, he got, he, he got his, he got his head rocked. He got his body rocked by the, the tech uh, defender. He, he got, he stood in there and took a bullet. That's what he did. He absolutely did. And now to um, the next part of, of the play is why was there a free rusher? So it looked to me after rewatching the play several times, like Dakota Davis, who's your starting guard and Josh Aloha, who is the start, who was the reserve center. He had to come in um, after Carlos Federello went out and they slid Aaron service over to right tackle and then brought in Aloha to, to play center. It looked like there was a miscommunication between those two that, that they were, they both assumed that the other one was going to take that guy. Dakota Davis thought he was passing him off to Aloha. Aloha thought that Davis was going to take him. Um, but there weren't really a lot of those occurrences in this game. So that, that's not something that I'm overly concerned about long-term. I, I just think it was one of those where, you know, they'll go in, they'll talk about it. They'll, they'll discuss it in film room. It'll be corrected. But that little breakdown is why um, it makes Schrader's play that much more spectacular because he was able to stand in with that free rusher coming in and make the play. But then on the other side of it, Damian Alford's catch, I don't think is getting enough attention. If you rewatch the play, especially the angle that's kind of from the end zone. And so you're looking at the front of Damian Alford when he's trying to make that catch he almost catches the tip of the ball with the with his hand facing down, right? So, like, his, his palm is on top of the tip of the ball, and he grabs it with his fingertips with the ball facing downwards and then is able to, after that, grab it with his other hand to kind of pin it and complete the catch. But you're not supposed to be able to make catches like that. You're not supposed to be able to. No. I mean, that takes, that takes dexterity that I can't fathom, and it just takes – like fingertip strength that I can't, I can't fit. I mean, just that's a tremendous catch in, in that situation. Um, I mean, I, I don't think out the, the play that Alfred made the difficulty of that catch is being discussed enough. It like, it was legitimately a good catch. Could Schrader have done the ball a little bit better? Possibly. But again, he was getting his body rocked. Right. I'm going to give him a pass on that one. He had a very good pass and it required a lot of skill by Alfred, who again is not someone who's been here for a while. He's not what Taj Harris was. If it's Taj Harris, we're like, that's a great Taj Harris cash catch, but this is a great Damien Alfred catch. I mean, again, like we, for some reason, always miss out on the big like note of every game. And we somehow miss out on a big play by someone kind of whiff on certain things. Alfred's a freshman. He's a six foot six freshman. Like we need to remember this. And that is a really good catch. I would enjoy if he made more of those catches, more, more catches like this more often, more consistently, a lot of those, because he's got the talent too. And I mean, you said it in one of our first episodes, you were like, I'm really excited about him playing this team. He's really good. And if this is any sign for the years to come. Yeah. He's going to be amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, he, he had, it was just a, a phenomenal catch. He's had a couple of other big catches so far this season. Um, and, and Courtney Jackson had seven catches for 86 yards and a touchdown in this game. Uh, he deserves some recognition for the performance that he had as well. Uh, but from there, we're going to go to the man of the hour, Garrett Schrader, uh, 236 passing yards, two th passing touchdowns, 
174 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns. He is now tied for fourth in the nation in rushing touchdowns, despite only playing in garbage time in week one, barely playing in weeks two and then in week two and then kind of splitting time in week three and didn't become the full-time starter until week four. And yet he's still tied for fourth in the nation in rushing touchdowns. And he was, he was just tremendous in this game from every aspect, his passing, you know, his completion percentage was below 50%. He was 16 for 34 passing the ball. And yet, especially in the second half, he looked so much more comfortable delivering passes and putting them in spots where they needed to be. This was a Virginia tech pass defense. As we mentioned in our preview episode, that was one of the best in the ACC at forcing interceptions and Garrett Schrader did not turn the ball over despite the fact that his completion percentage was lower than what you'd prefer. But for him, I don't think you're looking at those raw numbers uh, completion percentage-wise. What you're looking for is, is he doing enough to put enough pressure on opposing defenses that they can't just stack 9 or 10 in the box and say, we don't care if you throw the football. And in this game, Garrett Schrader did enough to prevent that from happening. Uh, he he, he delivered some passes, especially on those last two drives. The touchdown pass to Courtney Jackson um, on the the – second to last drive that cut the lead to two was a really, really nice throw. The Alfred pass was a really nice throw. He made some really good passes in this game. Uh, I think he showed a lot of growth in terms of throwing the football. I agree. And if you're looking at this game and say the Clemson game in a macro setting of how did he play the Clemson game? He had a bad game. This game, he played well. It just didn't work that there is a difference in how it looked. And this game looked positive. You could take a positive away from this. It was generally same statistical performance compared to Clemson, but he just played better, which is a positive thing to see, that it looked right, it looked good. I also want to add, by the way, on his rushing performance alone, as you said, he is currently sitting 44th in the nation in rushing yards. He is fourth in the ACC, I believe, in rushing yards. Fourth in the ACC. And we also happen to have the number one rusher in the ACC too. He is fourth in the ACC in rushing, 44th in the nation, which by the way, great number to have. Right. Great spot I was to just saying, I was thinking that exactly. 40. There is a single quarterback who has more rushing yards than him. Can you guess who it is? Malik Cunningham. Malik Willis. Very Malik close. Willis. Oh, I'm Malik so close. Willis I had is, Malik. Malik Willis is sitting 30th in the nation with 647. And Schrader is give or take 50 yards behind him. Yet having played, as you said, less games. Right. That imagine for a second a world where he plays the first three games of that season completely. He might be top 20 in the nation rushing with the most touchdowns and Sean Tucker having even more numbers than he already has this season. That we can be looking at the best rushing attack in the nation. And we already are the best rushing attack in the nation. But we could literally look at the best in the nation across the board. Right. You, you can argue that they wild. are, but statistically they would be. Uh, statistically, they, they would be three weeks of this. Statistically, they would be there without even like a question that it wouldn't even be close. Um, but even as you said, he's sitting currently he's sitting third in the nation in rushing touchdowns. Sean Tucker, I believe, is sitting. Uh, if I can he's quickly count, he's sitting tied for eighth. He's sitting tied yeah. for eighth in rushing touchdowns. Like that is crazy to see. And the fact that he also threw for two, as you said, he threw for two touchdowns and he threw for them when it mattered most, which is the biggest part for me is that this is two touchdowns came at the end of the game when we needed two touchdowns. He didn't have to run for it. He threw them. That is big. Like you don't see Tom Brady run a one yard touchdown at, with two minutes to go. No, you see him pass for it from 30 yards out, which is exactly what Schrader did. That is a big positive takeaway from it. Yes, he had he looked good with his passes. He ran all he ran for one seventy four or whatever it was, but his touchdown passes came at the end of the game when it mattered most. Which, as you said, now makes those defenses have to be honest against him. When you get in that fourth quarter, they now need to be honest and saying he can pass the ball because he just did it against Virginia Tech. Right. 
And, and Malik Cunningham, by the way, 480 rushing yards. So a little bit behind Schrader, but he is actually, I believe, tied for number one in the nation with 13 rushing touchdowns. Um, but he also has played the full season. That is Louisville's starting quarterback, who Syracuse will see um, in a few weeks here. But yeah, I mean, he's he's just been uh, tremendous. His ability to run the football has been on display from from the moment that uh, that he's gotten into games, and and especially when when he became the starter. But you know, he's he's clearly getting much more comfortable with the offense, and I think uh, you know the the success of the offense overall uh, is is coming with that. Um, from something positive, though, I know you said we weren't going to talk about anything negative, but now we're going to talk about a couple of negatives. Things. I don't want negatives. Negative things. Um, and that would be, despite the name, special teams and not so special teams mm. in this case. And Syracuse had two significant issues. I would say two significant issues and the third kind of consistent theme that is is plaguing Syracuse week in and week out. The first um, the two significant issues in this game were the blocked extra point and the missed short field goal. The blocks to extra point was not only an issue because you didn't get the points from the extra point, but because Virginia Tech ran it back for two points themselves. So it was a three point swing. Instead of the game being tied at 14, you were down 16 to 13. Uh, that that can really hurt you. And it almost came back to bite Syracuse in this game. But then with that whole sequence at the end of the first half that we discussed, the blunder of, of having to call multiple timeouts and not being able to run the play that you wanted when you had the ball at the one yard line, it turned into an 18 yard field goal attempt. And Andre Schmidt, who we've discussed in previous weeks, when he's beyond 40 yards, you don't want to trust him. When he's inside of 40 yards, you do want to trust him because he was 96%, I think, uh, uh, make percentage on his kicks inside 40 yards coming yeah. in. Yeah, up through this for, season, he has missed a his total. Career. He has missed a total of one field, I believe, two field goals within uh, 40 yards he has missed right. throughout his career. Come right, on. so you, you feel pretty good about that. And yet off the upright. And it was just one of those things where it just felt like, man, that kid is really being tested mentally with, with the issues that, that the, the field goal kicking unit has had this season. It's, you just have to think it's in his head at this point, but that was obviously an issue. And then the ongoing thing is some could argue the kicking is the ongoing thing, but to me, the bigger concern um, from an ongoing perspective is the punting. Um, Williams only he averaged uh, 39.8 yards per punt in this one. Um, but that was actually surprising to me. It, it felt like it was shorter than that, but he did have a couple of, of rather short punts in this one. Uh, one of which set up Virginia tech in Syracuse territory. They turned that into a touchdown field position was a major issue for Syracuse against wake forest with some of those short punts. Uh, you know, he did take a step forward in this one. In term, you know, he had a 49 yarder and, and had a couple of other decent kicks, but, um, you know, it's, it's still an area of concern moving forward. And, and so special teams certainly, uh, were impactful in a negative way overall for Syracuse in this game, which is not something we want to see, but it's, it's, as you said, it's both have been the issue this season that we've had bad kicking game, bad punting game. And it was just like, Usually one has happened. The other has ha happened during the game as bad as it has been, but Schmidt missing the chip shot essentially is rough that we can, we can say all we want and we can defend him and say, Oh, it was a 50 yarder. Oh, it was a 45. It's tough. He's not good from that distance. Okay. Whatever this for all essence is a chip shot that this is the equivalent of giving someone just a running layup for basketball this is a meatball down the middle. Like this is what you make your money. This is, this is, this is where the kicker should go to sleep and kick this in their sleep and make it easily. And he missed. And that's bad. He is 58% on the season, which notably I could be wrong here is the way below average for the normal uh, kicking game. Um, we're reaching our Roberto Aguayo levels in the NFL of how bad he is. And for those who remember Roberto Aguayo in the NFL, 
you have not seen a so bad, bad kicker before. <laughs> but he was this talented Florida State kicker. He was drafted, I believe, early on. He was. And he just could not make a kick. And that is where Andre Schmidt is at. And it probably in his, is in his head. And that's the thing. It's just it. It's going to take him one game of drilling a couple of field goals and getting back on track to then get himself to where he needs to be. But he's got the yips right now. And that is not something that fixes itself overnight. So we got to give him time. And again, we know he's good enough. We know he's good enough to like win us games. It's just not a season. And everyone's got an off season. And right now that's, it's his off season. Yeah. But I, I think, uh, I think there, there's going to be one of these final four games. It's going to come down to a, a kick of his. Uh, so, you know, they got to do everything they can to try to get him um, out of his own head, e- even if it's just from inside of 40. You know, if if you can go back to relying on him inside of 40 and out and outside of 40, it's, you know, it's kind of feels like a 50-50 shot and you only go there when you need to. I, I, I can live with that. But they this this clearly is in his head. But uh, with all of that negative, there was – there actually were two good special teams plays that actually ended up really helping Syracuse pull off this victory in the final few minutes. The first, after the 47-yard touchdown run um, by Malachi Thomas for Virginia Tech uh, that put them up by nine with five and a half minutes to go. Even after that, the, the, the ensuing kickoff Trevor Pena returned 51 yards into Virginia Tech territory. That ended up proving huge for Syracuse. But that was a very big play um, on special teams to get a big return like that. And then even on after Syracuse scores the touchdown, gets a stop to get the ball back, um, what, what turned out to be the game-winning drive, Pena returned that punt 15 yards. And, you know, it's a 15-yard return. You go from the 15 to the 30. And when you're evaluating the game afterwards, that's not going to be on most people's radar. But that little 15-yard return could mean a couple of more plays on your final drive. It could mean 10 to 15 seconds of extra time. And so despite all of the issues with special teams, they did come through at the end of the game when they really needed it to help the victory. So I think that is, if you're going to look for a silver lining, that's what you take away moving forward. It is. And I mean, special teams is the one thing in the NFL and in college that if you get a good special teams play like Pena had, it is a big difference maker in a game that you can be. That's why Devin Hester made his money. That's what Devin Hester is going to be a Hall of Famer is because when the Bears needed him to, he got him. He got him a big return. He got him a touchdown, something that if Pena pulls this off every game, it's a huge spark for this team that all of a sudden you can start relying on him and say, okay, he's going to get us into field position. He's going to help us here. And if he doesn't, that's fine. Cause we'll do it the next time you can start relying on him more. And that is a huge, 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 huge positive. I mean, if we can start getting a good return game, all of a sudden opens up a big, big world for this defense. They can say, okay, we can give up that extra yard if we need to, but if we can get the stop, it's what matters most. That all of his defense says, we got to stop. He's going to return one to the house. Or the offense is like, yo, he's taking one back 20 yards. We have 20 less yards to have to deal with. It's just a, it's a plus everywhere. There's no negative to it. Yes, absolutely. Now, the other issue that Syracuse had in this game was the run defense. Virginia Tech came into this game with one run of over 30 yards and their entire season. And they had, I think, four in this, three or four in this game. Um, one of which was the 47-yard touchdown that we thought iced the game uh, with five and a half minutes ago. But um, Malachi Thomas ran for 151 yards, three touchdowns, 7.2 yards of carry. He had six total attempts. We didn't even discuss him in our preview episode. No, because he had six total I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He had 11 total rushing attempts on the season coming in. His single game high for the season was six. And that I believe was against FCS Richmond. And yet he had 21 carries in this game, 151 yards and three touchdowns. He started the game. It wasn't even on our radar that he could start. 
where he no, last year had been the primary had been the primary rusher all season. And, and he ran for 78 yards on 10 carries. So, and Virginia tech just did whatever they want running the football. And part of that was the way that Syracuse approached the game that they were trying to take away with um, some of their, their zone coverages and not bring a lot of pressure. Um, first of all, the defense is banged up. They didn't have Garrett Williams. Um, so that changes how you can defend because perhaps you don't trust um, the, the backup Adrian Cole to be left on an Island one-on-one in coverage um, as regularly as you would with Garrett Williams. So that changes how much you can bring pressure and, and all of that. But you know, if, if they've got some other guys nursing some injuries, even if they're out there, Perhaps, you know, you're, you're covering for that a little bit with with how much pressure you bring. Um, but, you know, if, if you're scheming around what Virginia Tech does, you're expecting them to throw a lot of a lot of passes and uh, and all of that. So, you know, you're sitting back in a zone kind of anticipating that. And it was pretty clear early on that Virginia Tech was anticipating Syracuse bringing a lot of pressure because they ran screens, they ran draws, they did a lot of uh, pressure beating plays early, even though Syracuse wasn't bringing that pressure. And that led to a couple third and long situations that Virginia Tech was able to capitalize on uh, in their, their first series. But you'll notice that early on in the game, um, especially in the first half, Virginia Tech was very successful on third down, I believe they were four for their first four um, on third downs, if I'm remembering correctly. They were four for four in the first quarter. Um, and then from then on, Syracuse made little adjustments, which was not going as much zone, doing a little bit more man to uh, to try to combat what Virginia Tech was doing. They were 0 for three in the third quarter, in the second quarter, 0 for two in the third quarter. And one for three in the fourth quarter. So Virginia Tech starts out four for four on third down, ends up one for eight, one for eight. Even though Syracuse gave up all of those yards, they made some some adjustments in terms of how they were defending Virginia Tech, which I think a lot of people may not notice during the game. I certainly didn't at first glance. But when you start diving into the numbers, you start seeing how Syracuse was combating what Virginia Tech was doing. Even still, even with all of that, they're going to be playing a big physical team next week in Boston college. So this issue with stopping the run has to get corrected moving forward. It does. Um, and I, I will say, and I, I know this is the, the basic blank answer that you kind of even by a lot of fans who uh, don't know their stuff is, Oh, this is a one-off game. It'll happen. We'll get back to it. And yes, as you said, he wasn't a part of the discussion. We, I, we didn't bring up his name last episode that we didn't think he was going to play that the defense may have seen him and been like, who? And they just weren't prepared for him. He did well. We will give the, I will give the defense a pass this time on it happening, but they've overall played really well against the run that it has going to happen at some point. A defense gets torched. It always happens. No defense is perfect for a season. And in all honesty, they've played dang well close to perfect this season in terms of just defending the run. They've been one of the best in the nation at it, and we got to respect them for that. That it's going to happen at some point. It happens to be this random guy we've never discussed before that torches them. It's going to happen. It's no one, no defense is a steel wall. There's glass somewhere, and he found it. He found the glass. Yeah, and and. You know, Clemson ran for 116 yards on Syracuse. Wake Forest uh, only ran for 96. It was the first time in, um, I believe, a year and a half, that a season and a half, that they hadn't had at least 100 yards rushing. Liberty had 150. Uh, you know, a chunk of that was from Malik Willis. Rutgers only had 50 yards rushing. Um, and Ohio had 134. So, again, you know, even, even in now – Florida State did have 239 yards rushing, which was kind of similar to this 260. Now, the difference is that a lot of Florida State's yards came off of 165-yard run um, by, by Ward and then 
two runs at the end of the game that I believe totaled about 60 yards from Jordan Travis, their quarterback. So they, they got theirs, most of theirs, really off of three runs. It was more than half of, of their total rushing yards in that game. Whereas in this game against Virginia Tech, they were more consistent in their damage against Syracuse's run defense. They ran for 260. It was a season high for um, for, for the Syracuse defense with how much they've allowed. It's, it's really only been two games where they've had major issues stopping the run. It was against Florida State where Jordan Travis's legs torched Syracuse, and then they had one long run that one of their running backs broke off. And then this one against Virginia Tech where they did have some long runs, but they were consistently gashing Syracuse's defense. Um, but, you know, they've got a week to adjust. We'll see how it goes. But that, that is an area of concern going into the next game, I would say. Uh, the, the last the last thing I want to mention before we kind of get into our, our final thoughts here is we've talked a, a, f- a little bit about some of these plays, but there were just some of these littler plays that happened during the game that I think with the excitement of the final play of the Damian Alford game-winning touchdown and and how kind of unexpected that was at that moment of the game, given Syracuse has lost three straight games in the final seconds of the game. I don't think there was a ton of confidence going in that final drive that they were going to figure out a way to, to get to, to break through. And yet they did, but lost in it are some of these plays throughout the game that if they don't happen, that doesn't have the opportunity to happen. And I'll go through a few of them. First, uh, we talked about this off air, but the Syracuse was four for four on fourth down in this game, which is great to see that aggressiveness, which is one of wildly which, good. Absolutely. And one of which was in their own territory, which is very undino like um, at least for this season. So it was good hey, to give see. him his plaudits, Mike, give him a good that's, game. <laughs> that's right. Um, I, I liked the approach from that perspective. Uh, I always like the aggressiveness going on fourth down and, you know, a fourth and one situation. Um, I, I always like those, but so they were four for four on fourth down. The first of which was fourth and one on Syracuse's first drive deep in Virginia Tech territory, and it turned into Sean Tucker's um, lone touchdown of the game on a 20-plus yard run. They had a couple other fourth downs that they converted, and then fourth and four on Syracuse's final possession, they have the ball near midfield. They call a passing play. Garrett Schrader drops back, doesn't see anyone open, and he's able to scramble and pick up the first down. Obviously, since it was fourth down, Syracuse is out of timeouts. If that doesn't happen, they turn the ball over. Virginia Tech gets the ball. They take a couple of knees, and the game is over. That was a huge play, and I think that little six-yard scramble gets lost in in the larger picture here. A couple other plays. We mentioned earlier the 50-yard kick return by Trevor Pena to set up Syracuse's second-to-last touchdown. Then the 15-yard punt return that set up the final drive by Pena, I think was huge. And we mentioned this earlier with adjustments that Syracuse's defense has made. The decision to blitz Rob Hanna on the third and eight for Virginia Tech when Syracuse was still trailing by two points with uh, just under two minutes to go. If Virginia Tech picks up that first down, Syracuse never has the final possession. So the decision to blitz Rob Hanna when you haven't been blitzing all game catches a Virginia Tech off guard. He gets to the quarterback, makes the sack. That causes that not only does it force Virginia Tech to punt, but they lost 10 yards on that. That was huge in terms of field position. So the combination of that sack along with Pena's return had Syracuse starting in their final position at the 30-yard line instead of potentially back inside their own 10 or perhaps their own 5 two huge plays that I think get lost in all of the excitement um, were, were those back-to-back. So I, I think all of these little things, and then the touchdown pass that Garrett Schrader had to Courtney Jackson to cut the lead to two with under three minutes to play, the third down play. If he doesn't convert, if he doesn't make that pass, Jackson was open, but that was one of those where he has to put the ball in the right spot. If he doesn't, it's going to be knocked down. If he doesn't, now you're setting up for a field goal. And as we've seen, those are no sure thing anymore. In order to trim the lead to 
would have been six and then you need a touchdown to win it instead of on that last drive, even though they scored a touchdown, they only needed a field goal. They were really only about 15 yards away from being in Schmidt's range, regardless of your confidence level in him at the moment. So all of those little things, right, add up to the last play. And and I don't think that they should be forgotten because when you're in a game like this, all of those things add up and end up really mattering in the final outcome. No, they do add up. And that's the thing is that a lot of those plays either have not been happening or have been going against us in some way that for the passing game, we've seen Schrader make these passes, either miss by a little bit or the player catches it out of bounds and it's like, or he drops it and it's like, Oh, it happens. But this game, it went well. Jackson caught the ball. Alford caught the ball, that it looked good. And then you also, we have another return game going well, that Pena finally started breaking couple. He, he finally had that happen of just, the confidence came. He got two good returns. It was awesome. And we also haven't been blitzing. Blitzing has not seemed to happen last few weeks, even though, you know, Marlo Wax had like six sacks in like a game and a half, basically. Like blitzing hasn't been happening for this defense. And finally we do it and it pays off. It's sometimes it takes this just divine intervention to actually have something go right. And when it does go right, it works. And this game, the things went right that had to go right, and we ended up winning the game that we deservedly won. And again, a lot of those thanks do have to go to Dino of saying, hey, you blitzed at the right time. Hey, good call. You trusted Schrader at the end of the game. Well done. And it it worked. So we do have to give him his plaudits as well as the players. They deserve it. They played their hearts out. Nothing more to say there. Absolutely. So um, what does this mean for Syracuse moving forward? Ooh. I think, first of all, you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, with your opening thoughts, which was it's such a sigh of relief, right? I mean, it's, it's t- you, the fans think it's tough. Syracuse fans think it's tough when your team loses three games in a row by three points when you think you're the better team. And trust me, I'm an Eagles fan. I know what it is to be Oof. heartbroken to have those painful pain and and how difficult it is as a fan to, to handle it, to deal with it. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan. We just lost to ALCS when it felt like everything was going in our favor. Like I get it. I know. That's a good thing. That's a good thing though. Mike, you lost. It's a good thing, right? Well, the, the one good thing of the Red Sox losing that is Yankees fans and Red Sox fans can now come together rooting against the Astros. That is very, that is very true. That is a, it was a very, um, you, uh, harmonizing result, we'll say. So despite all of that, despite how difficult it is for fans to deal with, it is just as or more difficult for the players and the coaching staff to deal with it. They put so much into this with the work that they put in in practice, with the film study, with the game planning, with all of that. And not only do they want to win for themselves, but they want to win for all of you as well. They want the dome rocking. They want the confidence in them. They appreciate how amazing the student section has been in every home game so far this season. They love all of that, and they want the result on the field to be reflective of, of how much they appreciate that, not only for the fans, but also for themselves and all of that. So it's been difficult all around for the fans, for the players, for the coaches with those three losses and how how much that can weigh on you mentally. And I think can at times has the potential to impact your preparation. Um, You know, do you get the, what's the point of working my butt off? Cause we're just going to lose by three again. You know, it's very easy for those thoughts to creep into your head. So the fact that they were in a similar situation right down to the last minute again, and they come through, I can't imagine what that locker room was like. It must've just been, pure joy, elation, huge monkey off your back, a sigh of relief among sighs of reliefs. Just, I just think it was such an infusion of positive energy into the program, into the players that it has the potential. They got to go out and make it this, but it has the potential to be a major turning point of not only this season and figuring out a way to get to bowl eligibility, but perhaps of the Dino Babers era, if they are able to turn this season around and do that. I mean, I, yeah, it's the, the fact that it's a sigh of relief for them is huge. That it's finally the, we won, 
as you said, the monkey's off our back now. We can kind of breathe easy that, again, we've been saying it for weeks that we should be, and I said it this episode as well, like we should be 7-1, and 8-0. That's like where this team should be. The fact that we weren't, I can't even imagine how the players are feeling. Like I would know if I was one of them, I'd be like, we should be better than this. Why are we not doing better? This sucks. This is awful. This, this is not fun. And you're down on yourself like, we'll never win a game again. And finally, you win that game and you're like, okay, I can breathe now. All of those fans on Twitter are celebrating. They're having a good time. They're like, ha, ha, ha. Like the Sandman left the building. He never actually came in Virginia Tech. Ha, ha, ha. We're going to Never Never Land now. Like, how are you feeling? Like, having a good time on Twitter and social media. And you see that as a player. I mean, Josh Black tweeted out a photo of himself just smiling after the game. It was a selfie of him smiling in the locker room. And that's all you need to know is that they're just happy. They're happy to have won. And that is what matters most is you can play as well as Sean Tucker has been playing. And you can have a three-sack performance like Marlo Wax has in the past. But nothing beats winning a game. Nothing beats that. That I'd rather my team, I'd rather my own stats be minus 20 yards and like seven fumbles and us having won the game than the other way around. That That's just what being an athlete is. You want your team to win. And when you don't win, it sucks. When you do win, it's just the best feeling in the world. So all praise has to go to this team, how well they've played. That again, they should be a lot better. than They should be ranked right now. That's how good they've been. They should be a top 25 team in the nation, but they're sitting at four and four with three heartbreaking losses in a row. Uh, this could have been a fourth one, but they avoided it because they played well and they played for the team and they won the game. So shout out to you, SU players. You did it. You got to win. Take a sigh of relief. Eat some dinosaur barbecue. Have a good week. Absolutely. And um, I also think that's worth pointing out from a, team chemistry sort of culture of the program side of things that at no point when they were going through that difficult three game heartbreaking loss situation was their public pointing of the fingers blaming, you know, Oh, it's the offense's fault. Oh, it's the defense's fault. Oh, it's the coaching staff's fault. The team has stayed together through all of that. And so I think that is a pretty big positive uh, moving forward. But that'll do it for episode 15 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. For Kyle F., I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.